Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. Through conversations with investors and entrepreneurs, Unseen Upside by Cambridge Associates explores the human impact of investing. Season four focuses on exciting healthcare advancements, promising to improve outcomes and create resilient, patient-centric systems, blending technology and compassion. Meet the minds behind innovation shaping the future of medicine, from drug discovery to the role of AI. Uncover the Unseen Upside, available now. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Lauren. Mike. Lauren, are you on Blue Sky? Are you one of the cool people who got an invite? Of course I am. (laughs) I mean, of course I am a person who's on Blue Sky. I'm not saying, of course, I'm cool, because that would be a mistruth. But you are. You have powerful friends and you're connected. Yeah, I have to say all of these years of just goofing off on Twitter have paid off handsomely because now the other day I was able to just tweet, anyone have a Blue Sky invite? And someone from Blue Sky gave me an invite and now I'm on it. I don't have any invites to give, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd hook you up, Mike. Um, But yeah, I'm on it. I'm hanging out there now. Okay, so tell me, is it exactly like Twitter? Is it just a Molotov cocktail of shit posts and misogyny? (laughs) Uh, From uh, from a UI perspective, it looks and feels a lot like Twitter. So it gives you a warm feeling if you are a Twitter addict like me when you log on to Blue Sky. I haven't spent enough time on there yet to say whether or not it's exactly like Twitter. And I don't have I'm not following as many people. Um, I heard there's some content moderation issues, which we should probably talk about. I am eager to do so. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired, and you can find me on Blue Sky. <laughs> we are also joined this week by Wired senior writer Kate Nibbs. Kate, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. Yay, Kate's back. Always great to have you. In the months since Elon Musk took over Twitter and started making all kinds of unpopular changes, people have been looking for other places online where they can hang out. Because of this, a whole bunch of Twitter-like social platforms have popped up, and now we have a slew of contenders. There's T2, there's Mastodon, there's Post. We know a Twitter clone is coming from Instagram at some point. Even Substack has a chatty platform called Notes. But the social site that has generated the most buzz by far is called Blue Sky. Most of that buzz is because ex-Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey is one of the people behind it. But really, the reason that everyone is talking about Blue Sky is because it's still in beta and you need an invitation to get in. So it's only cool people and insiders right now. I just assume that they're mocking us. 
That's all I can do whenever I'm on the outside. Well, we on the Gadget Lab are blessed to have a couple of those super cool insiders here on the show this week. Lauren, of course, is on there. And so is our guest, Kate Nibbs. Kate, you just wrote a story for Wired about how Blue Sky surprised you by actually being fun. Is that the right word to use? <laughs> yes. And and I do say it somewhat begrudgingly because I've been holding out hope that Twitter will get it together because I don't want to start over on a social network at this point in my life. It sounds so exhausting. I I, <laughs> I got a Blue Sky inv- invite from a friend um, when people started talking about it and I got curious at whether it was actually as, as fun as people were saying. And yeah, it's like a good vibe on there right now, I think. I, I haven't followed that many people, probably like 70 or 80. So my feed is is definitely not like as busy as Twitter's, but it seems like there's a real sense of community and like there's a lot of in jokes that have been established. The the users decided that the posts would be called skeets, uh, sort of a, a play on tweets, and then some other slang that you can look up on Urban Dictionary if you're so inclined. Um, but there's just sort of like a mischievous vibe, and it's fun and I guess I'm going to keep using it. I and I truly did not think that I would feel this way because again don't want to start a new social network and like I, I don't know I don't have a ton of faith in Jack Dorsey as like the I don't have a ton of faith in Jack Dorsey period so um yes anyways this is my long-winded way of saying uh Blue Sky is pretty fun right now Blue Sky is also part of this crop of decentralized social networks what does that actually mean Oh man, you guys should have probably had someone from the security team on if you want to go into like the nitty gritty of how decentralization works. But okay, what well, I can tell you, plug for our previous episodes, we did have Wired security editor Andrew Kautz on the show a few months ago to talk about Mastodon and decentralized platforms. So you can go back and listen to that after this. But Kate, I'm fully confident you're going to do a great job explaining what the hell decentralization. Means. Yes. Okay. So in layman's terms, I could do it for sure. It's basically a social app that no one person controls. So instead of having like one, you know, owner of the app, it's sort of federated, I think they call it or federalized. So it's basically instead of being one, one social network, it's essentially infinite amount of social networks under one umbrella. And this is similar to how Mastodon works. Um, it's supposed to be more interoperable and have uh, like a protocol that runs it that uh, basically encourages third party users to create features and controls and be involved in its generation versus being like a top down, uh, more traditional platform like Twitter or Facebook um, any or Instagram or any of like the meta products. So And that's probably going to actually come back into our conversation about content moderation, because I think that's making content moderation a little trickier on Blue Sky because it is this decentralized product. And it's not quite as simple as like one person being like, we can't have butts and I'm going to come up with a moderation tool that ensures there's no butts. Um, That's just not how it works. But yeah, so layman's terms definition is... Not one person controls it. Many people can control it. It's it's more user-generated than top-down. In your story, you noted that the most impressive feat that Blue Sky has managed isn't one that's technical, but 
cultural. So there's only, what, like 50,000 people on it right now? Um, what about it is culturally impressive? Uh, who's on it? Okay, so they did a really good job of like rounding up all of Twitter's greatest shit posters and weirdos and the power users who have really established themselves on Twitter. They got all of the those people. Like the famous anonymous tweeter Drill has come over. The famous anonymous Twitter user Darth has come over. Um, there's a lot of like leftist activists and trans comedians and alt comedy types. There's there's people who are really active in like subcultural Twitters, basically, that they've gotten over there. Um, and it's definitely a different strategy than something like Post is going for, where they're going for more of like the news organizations and celebrities. There are some celebrities who have already jumped on to Blue Sky, like Chrissy Teigen and AOC. And uh, I think like Jake Tapper's on there. I don't know if he counts as a celebrity, but um, <laughs> they're they're starting to crop up. But that wasn't who they really went for at first. And I think it was a really smart strategy to make the feed seem like lively and unique and voicey. Um, yeah. And the end result, you write, is that it has uh, recreated an older, better era of the internet, one that is actually fun. And this is in your headline too, the word fun. Tell us about the kind of fun you're having on Blue Sky. I feel like I'm eavesdropping on conversations between clever weirdos at a bar right now. Like I haven't been super active. I'm trying to participate more, but it does. It's just giving me the feeling of logging onto Twitter in like 2013 and seeing all of these people sort of developing their own lingo and just cracking jokes. It's like, there's just a lot of jokes being cracked. I'm, there's It's hard for me to describe it without just saying people are posting funny things. Um, but that is what is happening. People are posting funny things. There, there have been definitely some content moderation issues. I'm sure there's some people who have had a bad time. But it seems by and large like most people are having a good time, which is not what's happening on Twitter right now. So it's just kind of refreshing. Oh, there's also like there's no brand yet. Maybe a few have snuck in by the time that this will be published. Like everything is evolving very fast, but it's still basically just actual humans versus random like menswear accounts that are somehow constantly appearing on your for you page you're seeing the people you want to follow and funny people who they're curating it's just um it feels more organic it feels again like an earlier era of the internet where you would like log on to a social platform and you'd see posts by the people that you've actually chosen to follow versus like slurry that the algorithms are serving you and like nerdtech advertisements slurry um so there was some early chatter about blocking on Blue Sky or the lack of blocking. And the response was basically, well, it needs to be built by the people who are using the platform because this is the Fediverse, right? Jack Dorsey, who has been very active on Blue Sky, said in reply to someone, it's brand new. It's being built in public with a way for anyone to contribute and help. It will find a way. Talk about how that basically demonstrates why decentralized is different. And then some of the other content moderation issues that are popping up, like around boobs and butts. Sure. Yes. So one of the reasons why there was no block feature is because of the decentralized nature and the fact that one moderator can't 
just put that tool in and have it be dispersed to every nook and cranny of Blue Sky. Um, that doesn't mean that they, it does seem like they're looking for workarounds and that there probably will be a block feature that they're able to implement, whether it's like patched together. Again, I'm not the technical voice here, but um, it's, it's just making it that much harder for them to make like edicts that apply across the board. They are really looking for their own users to come up with moderation features tailored to their communities. Um, I believe the CEO, Jay Graber, wrote a, wrote a blog post last week sort of explaining this, calling it compostable moderation, which is a cute phrase that I don't really understand what it means. But the gist of it is that they are hoping that their users will come up with and implement moderation tools that make sense for their communities. Um, right now, there are some butts and boobs and other parts of the body that you <laughs> might see in adult content coming up on the like what's hot tab. So for people who haven't like used this app, um, it looks a lot like Twitter. There's one um, there's one feed that's who you're following and it's called the following feed. And then there's one feed that's called what's hot. And it's just uh, skates that are getting a lot of interactions. And I think they're actually going to implement some moderation tools to stop the uh, porno, <laughs> to stop the adult content from appear appearing on the what what's hot page, um, just in case people don't necessarily want to see that. Um, and it's like, this is a good example because some people might be fine with seeing butts. I didn't really care. I, I don't mind a butt or two on my what's hot page. I mean, if I if I was like actually going to start using this app full time and like be pulling it up on the subway, maybe I would turn like no butts on because I wouldn't necessarily want to be seen uh, looking at a feed that's like primarily adult content in public. Um, but there might be people who want that. And so I think that this is an example of why the decentralized moderation could actually make uh people more loyal to Blue Sky because people who who will come on the app and, and hope to see that content might be able to, you know, toggle yes for butts and people who come on the app and don't want to see that can toggle no. Um, but that has been something that they basically ran into immediately is that people started posting, posting nudes and the nudes got a lot of traction. And so they were mm -hmm. uh, appearing on their equivalent of a trending topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to content moderation on social, right? Because there are centralized platforms like Instagram that have come under fire for their content moderation policies around things like women breastfeeding. So who is to determine what is indecent and what is not? Um, there tend to be these like sort of puritanical approaches to content moderation with certain things like that. At the same time, there is stuff that is truly problematic, indecent. And we haven't even talked about things like hate speech and racism that tend to crop up on social platforms. Um, Mike, you had a really good question about open protocols versus closed. Yeah. So I was thinking about this, about we've been talking about how Blue Sky feels like the old days of Twitter or the old days of social networking because there are no brands and because it's just a lot of fun and because the money hasn't crept in and changed everything for the worse. The thing that really struck me is that it's built like the early social web was. You know, the, the social web of 15 years ago was built on 
uh, XML feeds and activity streams and all these things that allowed interoperability between all the networks. And then, of course, the walls went up uh, and everybody started siloing their technology and siloing their experiences. And it became more difficult for people to communicate across networks. So the idea that because Twitter melted down and the thing that has cropped up around the internet that is generating a lot of interest is the decentralized model. It kind of gives me hope because even if Blue Sky isn't the one that popularizes it, I have a feeling that whichever networks come up that become popular will probably end up being ones that that involve like a porous experience where your activities and your actions can leak out into other applications. Uh, this would be great for people who are maybe writing clients, right? You can write a client that you can use to log into Blue Sky and Mastodon. Uh, you can do all of these things that you really had a harder time doing in the old Twitter world, um, and particularly like the Facebook world. I, I agree that the the decentralized element is going to be important moving forward, although I do think like the reason why Blue Sky is better to use than Mastodon. One of them is because it sort of hides the decentralized element from people who might not care about it. Like you don't have to care about it to use it. Whereas Mastodon has this sort of learning curve where you like are forced to think about the decentralization, even if you don't want to. That was what sort of, I like joined the wrong federation on Mastodon and then I didn't understand where everyone was. And I was like, I can't deal with this. And like never went back. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and Blue Sky sort of like, it's sort of like decentralized uh, social networking for dummies in the nicest way I could say that possible. Perfect. Um, yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
In our careers covering this stuff, we've all gotten excited about the buzzy new social spaces like Clubhouse and Be Real, only to see them fizzle out. Most of the companies vying to be the next Twitter will likely meet the same fate. Mastodon seemed like the logical successor five months ago, and it had its moment in the sun, but it's not super user-friendly, so it's already being considered an also-ran. And honestly, Twitter is still in a pretty strong position in the social world. Can anyone really unseat it at this point? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, if you had asked me this like a month ago, I probably would have still been saying no because I really want wanted Twitter to survive and thrive. I, I still do, honestly. I would love to see Twitter continue being the place where we go when a big news event happens and we want information about that event as quickly as possible. Because again, I'm tired. I don't want to do it all over. Okay. It's it, Twitter has always been troubled. And I'm not saying that it was perfect before Elon Musk bought it because it was very far from perfect, but it did work as the place that you went to find out the, the stuff. And it's breaking in that functionality right now. And I think something does have to unseat it. I, I know that there's been a lot of talk about how we're like moving to the post-platform era and we're moving to this more like fractionalized and splintered and and smaller communities. And we might never have the big uh, platforms in the way that we have for the past few years. I, I, I don't know if I buy that because I think that a lot of people and a lot of organizations and a lot of governments and like multinational corporations find value in having a centralized hub for this sort of thing. I just, I don't see that withering away entirely, even if, um, even if there is like a, a surge of smaller communities flourishing. And so whether it's Twitter or whether it's something else, I do think we're going to have a Twitter in the future. And I think Twitter could be unseated as Twitter. <laughs> and um, I don't know if it's going to be Blue Sky, though. Like, I I want to, like, couch my appreciation for Blue Sky in, like, a million caveats. Because while I think it's fun, uh, it could easily just be another flash in the pan. Like, I think I thought Ello was fun when, like, that came out in, like, 2015. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. But, like, oh, yeah. Something having uh, entertainment value doesn't necessarily correlate to it, you know, blowing up or scaling up. And um, so my, I wouldn't put money on Blue Sky being it, but I, I will say, and this is a point that I made in my piece, the fact that Blue Sky managed to recreate a central element of Twitter's appeal um, has sort of convinced me that it can it can be replaced, whether or not it's by Blue Sky or whether or not it's by a, a new version of Twitter that's ran by someone um, who isn't crazy. Do you think that's going to happen? I've had that thought too. I've had that thought of like, who could buy Twitter next or take over a CEO and make it usable again? And then I realized that that's probably unhealthy thinking, right? To just turn to like the next best billionaire and say, like, who actually has the means to take this over and run it and, like, not keep it from dying? The answer is private equity, of course. Oh, the answer is always <laughs> no. private equity. We should nationalize Twitter. 
<laughs> there were a few people who I could think. Like I remember when when Brett Taylor left Salesforce, I was like, maybe he's going to take over Twitter. <laughs> I was very, I was very excited. I was like, what if? I, like I could think of like a few CEOs who I'm like, ah, oh, they're doing a pretty darn good job. Like let's let's get them in here and have them run Twitter. I will say that as every day passes, I am more and more prepared to just let it go. Really? Yeah. yeah. Gosh, it's so sad. I just don't think I'm ready to let go of that little piece of wood as we're all floating in the Atlantic Ocean after the Titanic has gone down. And I think this is why we're so like this is why we can't stop talking about things like Mastodon and Blue Sky, because it's like we need something in our lives, it feels like, to fill that need in in ourselves, you know, that like social media has been providing, like it, whether we understand it or can point to exactly what it is or not. I think we all feel that people who like social media, not everybody likes it. But those of us who do, I think we all feel that we're like, oh, yeah, it's part of my life. It's it's something that I'm attached to. So it's like Twitter's deteriorating and we need something else to fill the hole. I will also note that something you said earlier about Mastodon, mm -hmm. I don't totally agree with. I don't think it's an also ran yet because of third-party clients. I've been using this client called Ivory, mm -hmm. and it makes it inherently more usable. And people have been recommending this for weeks, and I've ignored them. And just this week, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to download Ivory. And it's it's pretty good. Is it an app? Like, I don't, when you say a client, again, culture writer, technical. Yes, um, it's an app. <laughs> Okay. It's an app that puts the Mastodon experience of a decentralized social network and whatever server you're, is sort of like your home base. It puts it into a, a different container with a slightly different UI so that when you are scrolling it, it feels and looks a little bit more familiar and cleaner and not as like nerd centric. AKA it feels more like Twitter. Yeah, it feels more like Twitter. <laughs> Once again, it's that warm bath of the Twitter UI that uh, that us addicts are accustomed to. Mm -hmm. um, there is a, they have a desktop client that's available through test flight, which is means it's not actually available in the app store yet, but you can test an early version of it. You can go download Ivory. I'm paying $1.99 per month. That's $1.99, not $199. I'm not <laughs> that much of a social media addict. And so far I have found that to be the thing that makes Mastodon a little bit more usable. Kate, one of the social networks that I am not on yet is T2. What is T2? Like, do we need to sign up for this? Is this a contender? I mean, so it's it's another Twitter competitor. I believe the T2 is like literally Twitter too. <laughs> I, um, I actually went to sign up for it and I've been trying to keep my handle the same across platforms. And I tried to sign up with my handle and then it said that the handle was reserved and I needed to like call customer service. And so then I gave, I gave up. And so I actually haven't signed up for it yet. Um, yeah. Do they know this is the internet? Who took nibs? Yeah. I don't this know. This is what I want to know. I think the company was reserving it. You know what I mean? Like, I think they might have just reserved some handles for journalists, but it was like a step in adoption that just sort of threw, I was like, all right, I'll do this later. And then I never signed up for it. So the ones that I've signed up for, I, I've, I've been trying Substack notes because I have a lot of writers that I like with newsletters and I have a newsletter that I haven't updated in like two years. And so I'm like familiar with the platform, but I honestly have found Substack notes a little bit confusing to navigate. Um, mm -hmm. I've tried, uh, I've tried Mastodon. I'm going to try Mastodon Ivory on your mm -hmm. recommendation because I think that will make it easier for me. And then I 
I've tried blue sky. I haven't really tried. Um, I haven't tried post yet. I know there's, there's so many. I, I also, there's also the whole right wing sphere of Twitter competitors like parlor and gab and truth social, and probably a bunch of other ones there too. I, I don't have, have my username on those, but, um, I'm assuming right now you, you can wait. That's my recommendation. <laughs> because we're running out of time in the day. Well, there's only like, I, you know, there's only so many places that you can go. There's only so many, you don't, hours in a day, like people are getting subscription fatigue because of the shift to all of these um, newsletters. And I think if any more Twitter competitors come out, they're going to get platform fatigue. Like I can't be signing. I can't have that many apps on my phone. Like This is to your point. This is exactly what it was like in like 2009. You know, everybody was trying to latch on to the social media train. And like we all had way too many profiles. And like before we had open ID and like ways to log in with our Google accounts, it was like, you know, we had to remember all of our passwords and we had to refind our friends every time we went somewhere new. It was totally exhausting. I remember like writing and reading stories about platform fatigue and about like login fatigue. It was the same, same story. Everything old is new. <laughs> now I have to ask this question because we were once accused in one of our podcast reviews of being a bunch of English. What was it? Millennial English majors who don't know anything about tech. Something like that. Yes. Right. So let me put my business cap on here. What are the future business models for these platforms? Jack Dorsey responded to someone on Blue Sky and said, some clients may do subscriptions, some may do ads, some may do commerce or transactions. What people want to use will decide. What people want to use will decide. I don't understand what that means. Kate, how do you think these platforms are going to be monetized? I mean, one of the reasons I was joking about nationalizing Twitter, which I don't think you should do, but like, I don't <laughs> think these platforms lend themselves to the like numbers go up hockey stick growth that like VCs in Silicon Valley demand. I don't I don't know how they will be able to monetize Blue Sky to satisfy like the market. I I don't know that they should. Like maybe one of the reasons why decentralization is good a apart from like whatever philosophical reasons that one might have is because it will, you know, keep it sort of a DIY homebrewed thing and not put a bunch of pressure on Blue Sky to become the next meta or alphabet or like and so intent on growing in, into a, a tech giant. Maybe it could be like a GitHub situation, you know? Um, I So this is, this is a very English major millennial answer because my answer is like, I don't think that we should necessarily assume that that needs to happen for this to be sustainable. Maybe there's, I mean, and this is maybe really, really pie in the sky of me to say, but like maybe there's a way for this to be a, a little company with a big product or a little company with a bunch of big products that um, help people go online when they want to know what stuff is going on right now, but doesn't necessarily uh, generate a ton of wealth for venture capitalists or private equity or, uh, you know, give Jack Dorsey another $20 million to go on an ayahuasca retreat in the high desert for <laughs> 10 years. Like, uh, So 
that was again a very English major millennial answer, um, and kind of a non-answer, but that is I, that is my answer. I appreciate it though because it is it is true that not every company needs to experience crazy growth and make a bunch of money in order to be useful and in order to be sustainable in this world. Um, I just think that it's like unlikely that the people with money are going to look at Blue Sky and not see ways to make more money with it. Right. Even GitHub got acquired by Microsoft. Yeah. And God bless them. (sighs) (laughs) Well, we do need to take a break and then we'll come back with our recommendations. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince. And this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids. What's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's do our recommendations. Kate, what is yours? This is also like the most um, millennial English major recommendation of all time. <laughs> so you're welcome back. Buckle anytime. up. <laughs> um, one of my friends uh, has a Substack newsletter called Fran Magazine. Her name's Fran Hotner. It's great, and she is running something called Middle March May hashtag Middle March May. And uh, it is a book club where everyone reads Middlemarch in the month of May, which is now, which is this month, which means I just read 200 pages of Middlemarch uh, in the past two days. (laughs) And um, Middlemarch is good. Uh, And I recommend that everyone reads George Eliot's uh, classic novel uh, about provincial life in jolly old England. Um, I'm really enjoying the ride. It's funny. It's like shockingly funny. And yeah, hashtag Middle March Bay. Let's get it going. Let's get it viral on Blue Sky. All the <laughs> um, yeah, that's my rock. Kate, can I tell you something hilarious? Of course. Before Brian Barrett, our former executive editor of News, left Wired, he joined us in the Gadget Lab. And do you know what his recommendation was? Middle March. Was it May? by George Eliot? <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, I, I don't think it was. But he definitely recommended Middlemarch. Wow. Let's let's message him on the let's toot at him or skeet at him what, right now. What Wait, shouldn't learned? we post at him? Doesn't he work for Post? Now? <laughs> <laughs> no, he works for he works for the other social network that no one called Narwhal. Narwhal. That, Sorry, that's Brian. part of the Atlantic that no one has no one knows anything about. Still waiting for that to drop. Yeah. When's that coming, guys? I don't know. Are they? Are, what are they going to call tweets? Are they, is it going to be called like horns? It's going to be called <laughs> like a whale sound, <laughs> like Dory in uh, Finding Nemo when she does the whale sound. Uh, never seen it. Oh my goodness, <laughs> uh, Lauren. What is your recommendation? No, but that was a. But I just wanted to say, Kate, this is really a theme here. We really are a bunch of broken. Millennial English majors. Not a millennial. Okay, Mike, well, you're the odd man out. <laughs> I feel a need to defend and ask people to respect my Your age. age bracket. Your experience. You're seasoned. Okay. Uh, thank you for that recommendation, Kate. I'm actually going to add that to my Goodreads because I would really like to read it. Um, you're the second very smart person at Wired who has recommended it. 
my recommendation, I, I have complicated feelings about this one. Okay. So I recommend this, but I recommend it like with a like some caveats there. I really enjoyed watching John Mulaney's new Netflix special, Baby J. If someone asked me right now, what should I watch on Netflix? I would probably say take an hour and 15 minutes and watch this because he is, you know, really, really sharp, super funny. And the program is intensely personal. It's about his celebrity studded intervention where a lot of his comedian friends got together and intervened because he was struggling with drug addiction in a, a very real way. And um, and his experience in rehab and then a little bit of his life in the aftermath. And then during this time, there was other stuff going on in his personal life. Like he had a very public divorce. He ended up shacking up with another celebrity. They had a baby right away. Um, and so his likability is sort of in question throughout this whole thing. But the point of the program, at least he says, is that he like he's He's dive bombing his own likability because that's what he was known for before. And this program will sort of disabuse you of any notion that he is like this squeaky, squeaky clean good guy. And as I've recommended this to friends, I've asked them afterwards, like, what do you think of it? Because I because I want to, like, see what they now think of his persona and also, like, get their take on what sounds like a pretty uh, privileged, you know, rehabilitation experience. Like he had a lot of resources available to him. Uh, but, um, but I also like, I, I really enjoyed like listening to it and, and like, he's really funny and it's, it's a good program. It's a good special. So yeah. Kate, have you had the chance to watch it yet? I did. I watched it last week and I, I thought it was really well done. I actually saw him do like a much rougher version of it in person. Um, he didn't call it Baby J. Um, like right after he got out of rehab, which was fascinating. Um, I think it's really well done. I, I also, I get not liking him because of all the baby mama drama and his divorce. <laughs> um, and I think I at least am able because it's just sort of like, stuff about his personal life and it's not like he did anything like horrible I don't have much trouble like sort of putting putting my feelings about his behavior to the side and enjoying the special I I think it's a really good special yeah me too I I also watched it last week and I was pleasantly surprised Mike what's your recommendation so I'm going to recommend a piece of music uh it is an album by the singer and songwriter and piano player Tori Amos it's called Under the Pink It came out in 1994. Uh, It has some songs on it that you've probably heard. And particularly, which is the reason why I'm recommending it, songs that you may have heard recently, something is in the air or in the water because I have been watching shows on major streaming platforms over the last two months. I think I've heard four different Tori Amos songs all from this album. Um, particularly Cornflake Girl, which is like one of her most well-known songs. And it was used uh, in, a, in a prominent position in the new season of Yellow Jackets. And then like two episodes after that, they used Bells for Her, which is my personal favorite song off that record. And I, I'm one of those people who I watch the show and then I go on Reddit to see what people thought of the show. And I lurk and I scroll and everybody was like, what's this song? What's this song? And there was like this incredible amount of interest around that particular song because of the show. And also just general interest in people who are discovering Tori Amos for the first time. 
So I'm telling you, if you're one of these people, or if you just haven't heard it in a while, you should listen to Under the Pink. It's her second album. It is her, it was a typical, you know, situation where she had like a really popular debut and shot straight into the public consciousness back when that was possible Mm -hmm. uh, in our monoculture of the early 1990s. And then everybody was like holding their breath to see if her second album was going to be any good, right? Was she going to have a sophomore slump? But she did not. Uh, second album really delivers. I think it's her best record. So go back and listen to it. Maybe, you know, get a little cup of tea or some Beaujolais or some weed and wrap yourself in a blanket and sit by the fire uh, or sit out on your freezing cold porch and listen to <laughs> listen to Under the Bank. Um, I think with that recommendation, you like officially have disabused anyone who even was confused for a second of the notion that you aren't Gen X. <laughs> is Tori is Tori a big uh, a Gen X tell? Is, big, is that a virtual signal of me? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, really. Oh, it was an, for it sure. was an era. I mean, yeah. yeah, I I'm trying to think of like, yeah, because she hasn't really like it, this is the first time she's really resurged in popularity since since the she was popular (laughs) i I think so i mean she's to to be like you know she Mm -hmm. still tours and does extremely Mm -hmm. well on the road and she's still putting out new music most of which is very good but yeah like you know to hear something that is like you know in my dna on the television and then go online and see that there are people who've like never heard it before i'm just like are you kidding me? That's the very, very typical Gen X reaction to almost every cultural touchstone that gets resurfaced. But I'm really happy for her that this is happening. Not only is she making a little bit of money off the old songs, but like people are checking her out. So yeah, check out Tori. Maybe maybe you've heard of Tori Amos. It looks like the record was released in January of 1994. So yeah, if you were in high school, approximately 16 years old or so at the time that this was you know, searing into your brain, then it makes sense that you would, yeah, you'd be like, you'd be on the cusp. Mm-hmm. He's born 78, 79 or so. Not quite elder millennial. Definitely Gen X. Yeah, I think so. Well, I'm happy we all agree that Tori Amos is a genius. <laughs> she is. She really is. <laughs> yes, this is a this is a pro Tori Amos space for sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, if Tori Amos is ever available to come on the show, we're here for it. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. Kate, as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'll see you on the T2, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can still find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. We promise we're still there. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. We will be back next week. And until then, goodbye. I take great offense to that comment. Because I am a Gen X English major who knows nothing about technology, not a millennial English major who knows nothing about technology. Please respect my age. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.
from PRX.